It is good to see you today on this national holiday, right? Everybody good? Everybody excited? Everybody excited about today? I want to know who thinks, who thinks the Patriots are going to win? Come on. Who thinks the Patriots are going to win? Okay. Second question, who wants the Patriots to win? Hands up high. Hands up high. Who wants? I want to see you. Hands up high. The Bible says, repent and be baptized. Every one of you, in the name of Jesus, for the forgiveness of your sins. I just want, I want you to know that up front. No, it's going to be fun. It's going to be fun. I know there's a few of you that don't like football. I know. And we love you because Jesus loves all people. He does. But for most of you, it's a football day. People are going to gather around the television at least for, for a while tonight and, and uh, cheer on whoever uh, you want to win. And I'm saying it's a Super Bowl. I, it might as well come down to the final drive. It's a Super Bowl. I mean, let, let it be a great game, and it comes down to the last drive, either one last score or one last great defensive stand. A defense digs in and just says, we're not giving any ground. Today, before you get to football, I, I want to talk to you for a few minutes about a great defensive stand. Now, I'm not, I'm not talking figuratively. I'm talking about a defensive stand that really did happen. It was a line-up, nose-to-nose gotta stop them kind of moment. It was not a defensive stand by a New England Patriot. It was not a defensive stand by a Philadelphia Eagle. It was, however, a defensive stand by a Saint. Not a New Orleans one, but a Saint. And today, I, I want to tell you this story. In, in this study over the last month, Be Missed, we have been challenged to be intentional about living a life of impact. In order to do that, doesn't require that you have a lot of money. Doesn't require that you are the most talented. It does require seeing others before yourself. It requires investing in the lives of others to live every day so as to be missed. Up until this point, most of our study has been in the book of Acts. It is the story of the early church. Today, we're going to be in a little different place. It's the book of Galatians. So if, if you bring your Bible with you, which I hope that you do, you've been in Acts. Today, you're going to want to start finding Galatians. It's a few more books down the line. Just move toward the back of your Bible from the book of Acts. You should, it should like open there now because we've been there for like four or five weeks now. But we're going to be in Galatians in just a few minutes. The individual at the center of our study, his name is what? Barnabas. He's the B in B missed for us. Barnabas is his name. It's not his real name. His real name was, was Joseph, but his nickname was Barnabas because Barnabas means son of encouragement. And I think his nickname tells you a lot about him. I told you first week, I don't think this is the kind of guy that worries about whether the glass is half empty or the glass is half full. He's just a guy who's always 
filling up the glass again. He's always encouraging people. He's always pouring into people. We have seen numerous good qualities in this guy. I mean, he's the kind of guy you want to know. He's the kind of guy you want him to know you. We have seen numerous good qualities together compiling a man who would be missed. However, there is one quality that has stood out to us. It is this quality, his encouragement regarding patience with other people's failures. He is patient with other people's failures. We saw it way back in Acts chapter 9 because Barnabas was the guy who stood up for Saul when nobody else would trust him. Saul's got a bloody past. He he wasn't always a preacher of the good news of Jesus. In the beginning, he persecuted the church of Jesus. And so when when he turned to believe in Jesus, nobody trusted him except Barnabas. In the failures of Paul's past, Barnabas was willing to trust past that. And then when Barnabas got to Antioch, It was Saul who was the one he called to come help him teach there. It was really the first extended job, we would say, in terms of teaching and preaching that that Saul would have had. Barnabas, he stood up for Saul. And then we spent a whole week, Acts chapter 15, where where he believed in John Mark. Remember John Mark, the, the millennial who couldn't stay on the job? Remember that? John Mark was the one who quit in the middle of the missionary journey. And Paul's like, "Uh uh-uh, we ain't taking him. This is no place for a kid who's trying to figure out who he is. But Barnabas said, I'm going to stick it out with John Mark. I'm gonna stay with him. I'm, I'm going to, and Paul and Barnabas part ways, but Barnabas stays with John Mark. I, I told you, much of the New Testament that you read, the Gospel of Mark, and then Matthew and Luke were influenced by Mark, the pattern. And then all those letters that Paul wrote, much of the New Testament can be attributed to one guy whose name was Barnabas, who believed in two guys, Mark and John, Mark and, and uh, Paul, who wrote most of what we read in the New Testament. The story today happens in between those two seasons of his life. And it is something very serious. It is another confrontation between Paul and Barnabas and some other believers, but the ramifications are bigger than just something between Paul and Barnabas. What we're dealing with today has an immeasurable consequence on the church. It was an immeasurable consequence on Christianity if it had not been dealt with head on. And so thank goodness for a saint. His name was Paul, and he straps on the helmet, and he packs on the pads, and he meets it head on. On. Galatians chapter 2, verse 11. Here's what I'm talking about. Galatians chapter 2, verse 11. When Cephas, now Cephas is the Aramaic name for a guy that you're quite familiar with, one of the disciples, one of the apostles, Peter. Cephas came to Antioch. When he did, get this, 
I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, now James, you can see James is kind of like the pastor of the church at Jerusalem. He's kind of the guy that oversaw the, the, the main church, the mother church, we would say, the one that kind of started it in, in Jerusalem. These guys come from the Jerusalem church, and it says before they came, he used to eat with the Gentiles. Peter did. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. <laughs> that sounds like a great group to belong to, isn't it? We'll get there. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy. Get this. So that by their hypocrisy, even... Who? Barnabas was led astray. Oh, say it ain't so, Joe, right? Barnabas? He's the guy we've always been able to count on. Barnabas is the guy who lives so unselfish. He's always willing to go wherever God tells him to go. He's willing to give whatever God tells him to give. And now our guy Barnabas is grouped with hypocrites. And it says that Paul opposed this group to their face. He opposes Peter to his face. It is an interesting term. It means to stop somebody in the direction that they are going. That is what the term means. In other words, Peter and Barnabas and these believers are doing something. They need to be stopped. It can literally be translated, I forbid them. I set myself against them. I played defense. That's what it means. It means I played defense and I stopped them in their tracks and I did it to their face now that's some pretty bold language because who are we dealing with here we're dealing with the apostle Peter like he's like one of the super dudes we're dealing with Barnabas this guy's no slouch this guy He's, he's really at the heart of so much of, of the beginning of the birth of the church and all that had to go into that. How, how do you get to the place that you're going to get in the face of two guys like that? How are you going to get in the face of Peter? How are you going to get in the face of Barnabas? What is going on? Verse 14. When I saw, this is Paul writing, that they were not acting in line. You ready with this? with the truth of the gospel. That's a big phrase. The truth of the gospel. I said to Cephas in front of them all, you are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? And all of a sudden we realize we are dealing with an issue here that is not just some ministry judgment call. 
ministry judgment calls have to be made all the time. Ministry judgment calls are like, should we take John Mark with us on the next missionary journey? That's a ministry judgment call. Because there is no verse of scripture that says, take John Mark with you on the second missionary journey. So you look at the circumstance, you try to look at the biblical principles and you go, well, should we take him or not? And Paul goes, no, we ain't going to take him. And Barnabas goes, yeah, I think we should take him. It's a ministry judgment call. And that stuff has to happen all the time. People disagree all the time about strategies and how those things should come to play. It's why somebody's got to lead in the end, because eventually you got to make some kind of decision and, and you move forward on those things. This is not a ministry judgment call. What we are dealing with in Galatians chapter 2 is full-on sin. And it is sin at a level where we are struggling with the truth of the gospel. Now, there's really nothing bigger for us to mess with. All of our life is to be measured by the gospel. It motivates everything we do, every move we make. Everything is about the gospel. So let me give you the context of this story. Peter, from Jerusalem, has come to Antioch. And when he gets to Antioch, he is enjoying the fellowship with those Gentile believers. Now, Peter's Jewish. He grew up in a Jewish background. All the laws, all the stuff that came from a, a Mosaic background, he knew all those laws to keep that good Jews would keep. These are Gentiles. They don't have all those laws. But Peter is enjoying the Christian freedom that he has to now sit down with Gentiles and fellowship. It would not have always been that way because every good Jew knew that Gentiles were unclean, their houses were unclean, their food was unclean, their utensils were unclean, everything about them was unclean, and a Jew would have nothing to do with Gentiles. Neither would Peter until the day came that after the resurrection of Jesus, he gets this vision from heaven about God declaring, Peter, don't, don't say it's unclean. I'm telling you it's clean. He goes to the house of Cornelius, a Gentile, where Cornelius and all of his household come to faith in Jesus, and Peter's eyes are opened. Nothing is unclean anymore. Those dietary laws of the past those were all pointing toward the one who could actually make us clean before God. Food was never going to make us clean before God. It was always pointing toward Jesus. Jesus broke down the middle wall between the Jews and the Gentiles. And we are no longer Jew or Gentile. We are one in Christ Jesus. Peter got that. Peter's enjoying, I mean, come on, man. It was like when my son tasted bacon for the first time. Peter's like, really? We've been missing this our whole life? And he's enjoying being able to eat with these Gentiles foods that he's never tried before. But then here comes this group. A group also from Jerusalem who doesn't see it the same way. They would say, um, not only are these folks Gentiles, but they are certainly not children of God 
because they do not keep all of the Mosaic laws like we've always been taught to keep. And the sad part of this picture is that this group influenced Peter, influenced Barnabas, influenced several of those other believers, and they begin to back away from the Gentiles. Now think about that. They've been sitting at the table together. They've been fellowshipping together. They've been talking about how good Jesus is to make us one together. And then now all of a sudden it's like, uh, you know, I'm busy. I, I can't go to lunch today. They back away. But what I want you to see is we are not just dealing with an issue of disunity. If you're just looking at it from a team aspect and we got the Jews and the Gentiles on the same team, we're going, well, this is bad. This is bad. This is going to create disunity that they're saying that one's better than. It is bigger than even a disunity issue. This is a gospel issue. This is an assault on the good news of Jesus. And Paul says, enough is enough, helmet on, pads on, cleats on, digging in, no more. Because he's fighting for the true gospel, which is the gospel of grace alone, through Christ alone, received by faith alone. The true gospel. At no time in history, Paul would say, has anybody ever been made right with God by their own effort? At no time in history has anybody ever been saved? Has anybody ever been forgiven of their sin? Has anybody ever escaped judgment because of something they have done or accomplished? Nobody has ever been saved by works, ever. But these false teachers, they have confused the people. They have confused them about what the real gospel is. And if you are confused about what the real gospel is, and then somebody asks you what the gospel is, what are you then going to start to pass on? You're going to start to pass on a false gospel. And Paul knows this has to stop right here. You understand there are really only two religions. There's just two. There is the religion which God reveals in Scripture which says salvation comes by grace through faith alone, only through Jesus. Everything else, all forms of false religion, say salvation comes by man's effort. Man's effort. Something that we do, some achievement, some, some morality, some ritual, some ceremony, some behavior. It's us. Every false, you look at them, every false religion says, here's what you need to do in order to be made right with God. Only the true religion that God unpacks in Scripture, only through Jesus, that is by grace through faith, in him it is all God's achievement. Satan loves the religion of human achievement. And he's okay with you talking Jesus all day long as long as you want to say, it's Jesus plus me. 
or Jesus plus something. He's like, preach it, man. Preach it. But the true gospel is not Jesus plus something. The true gospel is Jesus. It's by grace through faith alone. Paul knows that when the truth goes, the gospel goes, and when the gospel goes, souls die. What's happening in this passage, in this story, it is as though Peter and Barnabas are creating a commandment that the people have to become Jews before they can become Christians. They have to be Jewish before they can become Jesus followers. They got to follow all the rules like circumcision. That's why that word is there. The circumcision, they believed. Those were the kind of, those were the kind of rituals that you had to be a part of before you could be right with God. What is at stake here? It is the truth of the gospel. Can you believe that Barnabas bought that? Can you believe that Barnabas like was swayed in that? I mean, isn't there like a little part of you that just goes, oh. What can we learn? I got a little list. Some of them we'll hang out on for a few minutes. Some of them we're going to move right through. But here's, here's, here's how my list starts. In case you don't know this, strong Jesus followers can fail. Did y'all know that? Strong Jesus followers can fail. Barnabas did. Peter did. When it happens, isn't it crushing? Like in, in like life now when it happens to you, when you, like there's somebody that you look up to, there's somebody whose who's faith, you know, you, you admire, and then, and then they fail. Like, not like a judgment ministry kind of call failure, but like, Sin, failure. We need strong examples. We do. The Bible says that we do. We need people strong examples in our lives when it comes to faith. I'm not putting this on the screen today, but Hebrews chapter 13, Hebrews chapter 13 verse 7 reads this way. It says, remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you, consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Now, God said that. God said there need to be some people that you look at their life and you want to imitate their faith in him. You need that. We all need that. That's, that's Hebrews chapter 13, verse 7. But then you want to know what Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8 says? It says, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday and today and forever. And I love that because here's what I think he's saying. You better find some people who got some real faith. And you better attach your life to them. And don't be afraid to want to imitate the faith that they have in Jesus. But don't you forget that only Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. In other words, he's the only one who will never fail. Find you some good leaders. Find you some faith examples. But when it always comes down to it, Jesus is the only one who's never going to let anybody down. Paul knew this. 
There's a story in Acts of the day that he and Barnabas are in a place called Lystra. And on this particular day, there was a man there who had been crippled from birth. And on this day, he is healed. And the crowds go crazy. They literally say of Paul and of Barnabas, the gods have come down to us in human form. They start bringing stuff that they want to make sacrifices to Paul and Barnabas because of the miracles that are being done. And Paul begins to shout this phrase that ought to be the phrase all of us know how to shout at particular moments in our lives. Friends, Acts chapter 14, why are you doing this? We too are only human like you. Paul knows he fails. He knows he fails. And I love the fact that the Bible is honest about the portrayal of all the saints. They all fail. The sons of thunder fail. And the sons of encouragement fail. Strong Jesus followers can fail. Here's a part of why, I believe. Lesson number two. Every strength is vulnerable to a corresponding weakness. Every strength is vulnerable to a corresponding weakness. What is Barnabas' strength? Encouragement, which means people. His strength is people. Barnabas is a people guy. Everybody likes Barnabas. Everybody thinks Barnabas, they're Barnabas' best friend. It's just Barnabas. It's a gift that he's got. That's his strength. Barnabas would say relationships matter. And Barnabas would say truth matters. Relationships matter and truth matters. But when you have a particular strength like relationships, don't be surprised that the corresponding weakness is where an enemy would hit you the hardest? Where does Barnabas get hit? In the area of truth. His strength for people means he can be vulnerable to minimizing the importance of the truth. And so he compromises the truth of the gospel. And Paul knows that can never happen. People's lives are at stake here. You cannot forsake the truth. And so there's another place in Galatians chapter 1 verse 8 where Paul makes it really clear. He says, but even if we or an angel from heaven, okay, he's saying, look, if I preach it or if some angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. Verse 10, Am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? And then he repeats it. Am I trying to please people? If I were trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Jesus. He's like, I know this is unpopular. But folks, we are not going to compromise the truth. Because when the truth goes, the gospel goes. And when the gospel goes, souls die. There's no life in a gospel that is not true. That was Paul's great strength. And so Paul, in this moment, where Barnabas demonstrates weakness, 
Paul puts on the helmet and he puts on the pads and he laces up the cleats. And he goes nose to nose with the super apostle and the guy everybody in the whole world likes. And he says, I ain't trying to please people. I'm standing for truth that I know brings life. Now, I'm telling you, there are going to be times in your life, if you follow Jesus, that you have to do the same. You have to do the same. There are times in your life where you, you, you as a part of the family of God, will have to fill some gaps. At times when weaknesses are, are demonstrated and you've got strengths. Can you imagine how Paul felt? to have to confront Barnabas. Barnabas, I, 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 I would bet you Barnabas, he's like the best friend Paul's got. He's his best friend, he's a partner in ministry. They've been fighting for the gospel together for more than a decade at this point. And now Paul's gotta confront his friend about sin of forsaking the truth of the gospel. But Paul did it. He did it. Here's the third lesson. We need each other's different strengths, don't we? We need each other's different strengths. There was a time where Barnabas was the guy standing up for Paul. When nobody else would believe in Paul, when nobody else was going to trust in him, Barnabas was the guy with his strength, stands up and goes, I'm with you. And now the role has reversed. And now when Barnabas is in weakness, Paul is the one who is standing up face to face with him saying, no more. No more. Not because he doesn't like Barnabas, it's because he loves Barnabas and because he loves the gospel of Jesus Christ. We need each other's different strengths. The point is not for all the Barnabases to become Pauls. It's not for all the Pauls to become Barnabases. The point is not for each to become the other. The point is that together we will help each other finish. That's the point. We will help each other finish. Neither Paul nor Barnabas was more valuable than the other. God has built a community of diverse people on purpose when the strength of one makes him vulnerable to a corresponding weakness, the others are there with strength. Lesson number four, past experiences and past usefulness are not guarantees of future obedience. It's not. We learned this the very first day of this study. Acts chapter 11 said about Barnabas, he is a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. Let me ask you a question. In Galatians chapter 2, is he following the leading of God's Spirit? No. He is compromising the truth of the gospel. Was Barnabas a good man? Yeah. Was he, was he full of the Spirit and truth? Yeah. Did that guarantee that he would always walk in that manner? No. It did not guarantee future obedience. None of us 
please hear me today. None of us are safe to say, well, I had this experience with God, so I am secure from now on. No. No. We got to be like Mark who says, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation because the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. You got to keep on watching and you got to keep on praying. You, you gotta, we got to be like Ephesians 6 calls us to, to put on the full armor of God that when the day of evil comes, you will take your stand. And when everything is done, you will stand. we we got to be like the psalmist that daily we are hiding God's word in our heart that we might not sin against God. You can't ever coast. Because your past experiences and your past usefulness are not a guarantee of future obedience. You can't coast. You got to stay in the relationship with God. I think God, um, I think God from time to time kind of works, uh, not kind of, he works those areas of our life. Discipleship, I told you, I think last week, I've slept a couple of times. Discipleship is daily adjusting our life to follow Jesus. That's discipleship. I see where Jesus is guiding, and then I have to do what? Step. My will agrees with his guidance. I step with him. That's discipleship. He moves, I move. He moves, I move. We talked last week about that in the context of generosity, right? And how he calls us, as a God who is incredibly generous, he calls us to live our lives generous. And that what happens is we get to those moments where we see how Jesus moves and we get opportunities to be generous and it's either no or yes. No or yes. Am I going to step with him or not? And I I just simply said last week, sometimes I think we have a way of using wisdom as a smokescreen for actually not being generous. Because they're, they're, we know we don't want to, we don't want to enable people. We, we don't want to just give to, to set people up for failure. And, and there's wisdom in all that. Please don't hear me saying that there's not. But sometimes we build such a list of requirements before we are generous that we're never generous because nobody passes the test. Nobody's good enough to pass our test because we don't know for sure. We don't know if we can trust them. We don't really know what their story is. And they never pass our test. So I told you last week, there's just a little something, and you're going to be like some of you, two of you actually remember that I said this last week. Um, the rest of you have no idea. But you're going to be disappointed, the two of you, because there's nothing super spiritual about this. It is simply, um, I feel like God, having, having just kind of been challenged by this, something I'm going to do um, for, for really 30 days, which I've already started it, but I'll kind of run it through February, so kind of February will be the month. My theological friends will rake me over the coals for this, okay? My theological buddies will rake me over the coals. But I think it's supposed to check my heart. So for the next 30 days, every time I am confronted with an opportunity for generosity, I am not gonna say no, I'm gonna say yes. 
What I mean by that is I'm not replacing, I'm not replacing that action with the fact of, of my, my family believes in a generosity of a percentage of our income that we give every, every month to the ministry of, of God's church and his people. I'm not saying this in place of that. I'm, I, I'm saying in addition to that, if a nonprofit asks me for something, I'm going to give something. If a beggar asks me for something, I'm going to give something. And for the next 30 days, for the month of February, if I'm asked, I'm just going to do it. Now, I'm telling you, that's not how I normally operate. I wish I was, that, I, I don't operate that way. Um, and I'm not saying that I'm doing this on a church behalf. I'm talking about just for me personally, this is, this is what I'm going to do for, for the month of February. I want to make sure that my heart will let go, even when I don't know for sure. Because it's really easy for me to set up some wisdom that goes, well, I don't know if I can trust that. I don't know if I can trust that beggar. I don't know him, and I don't know what he's going to do with it. And is he going to walk? Is he going to go? Is he going to do this? Is he going to do that? I don't know what he's going to do. But for the next month, I'm not going to ask that question. I'm just going to give him something. Because for the next month, I want to establish in my heart a pattern of generosity that says yes more than it says no. And I'm fully aware that, again, my theological buddies are going to beat me up. You guys don't know. They are. They're going to beat me up because it's like, that is so irresponsible. There are so many procedures and so many principles and so many questions that need to be asked. And it's right. But for the next month, I'm not going to play that game. And so far, it's been kind of cool. Um, it's actually been comical so far. You ever, you ever get in one of those points where you think God's leading you toward something, and then as soon as you go, yes? Uh, this is the way it works for me. Um, the last couple of days of this week, my wife and I got away. Um, we do that on purpose. We schedule it. We plan it. Several times a year, we get away for a couple of days where it's just me and her. You know why we do that? because we are going to be intentional about fighting for our marriage to the end. And those kind of little getaways are moments where we get just time to align and just time to talk and it, it, it is absolutely on purpose and it is a part of our fight to not assume that the fact that we've been married for almost 30 years means that we would be for the next 30. We're not gonna do that. So we get out of town for a couple of days, and the place that we go to is one of those places where you were able to just walk, like pretty much everywhere. So if we were going to dinner, we walk, and if we were going to see something, we walk, and if we were 